Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Amon Green, the Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack, go. So welcome to episode 42 of the Average Cheese Podcast. I'm Dale Lobel. Peter Jones is with me as, as always, and Todd is feeling under the weather because of his second COVID shot. Thanks to Dwight at ddgcustoms.com and Rhonda at RNM Management. We appreciate all the money you're going to put in the cuss jar. Remember, we cuss for charity. So every time I cuss, Habitat for Humanity gets another quarter. And Dave, oh, I should probably introduce you before I start talking about you cussing. If you want to cuss, I'll put your quarters in today. Damn it. All right. So we have a special guest today, Dave Burkett. He's a Lions beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Hall of Fame voters, we need to have you on again if I don't screw this up too badly because I'd love to talk about the Hall of Fame at some point. Three-time Michigan Sports Writer of the Year. That's very impressive, sir. So, Dave Burkett, it's nice to have you on. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing good. You guys doing well? Yeah, doing great. Really Pretty doing good. well. So, yeah, we cuss for charity. So, every time you cuss, I'll just drop a quarter in the jar if, if, if you feel like it. Hell yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and I have a real jar because I don't have the electronic, you know, capabilities of doing that any other way. So let's talk a little bit about the Packers, Peter, before we talk today. Packers have signed every draft pick except Eric Stokes and Amari Rogers. Any thoughts on when that might happen, when we'll have everybody in the mix? Yeah, I figured that's just a timing thing. Probably with Stokes being the first round pick, there's probably a discussion there around how much of his signing bonus or how much is it guaranteed not the signing bonus, but how much of the base salary is guaranteed there. But that's probably what that conversation's about. Amari Rogers, I would imagine that's just a timing thing. In this day and age, with the you know with the rookie salary pool and stuff, I don't foresee any any issues. I think it's just a matter of days, I would imagine. Right, it's pretty slotted, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot of variation. So in Packer land, any quarterback news is news, right? <laughs> Anything that gets talked about is a big deal. Blake Bortles being signed. The Packer Twitter went just absolutely viral. Ridiculous amounts of things being said about, oh, Blake Bortles and how much of a clown he is. And then there's, of course, has to be that comparison. He's also won two playoff games, comparing him to Aaron Rodgers like he might be the next Aaron Rodgers. And I'm really disappointed that Chad Machine Gun Kelly didn't make it any farther than he did. How many tickets has that guy had in his life? He's like had so many brushes with the law. He could have had one with the Green Bay too. You guys have nothing. I know I'm just talking out of my ass right now, but I really hope that you'd make it, you know, more than a day or two. Let's, wow. just, let's, let's talk to Dave. Dave, what do you got? Let's, how, rookie camp just happened for the Lions. Anybody stick out in your mind? Now, you know, the Lions, first of all, we got 90 minutes of access, so it's not like we saw much. And basically everything we saw was glorified walkthrough. There was a little bit of seven-on-seven period. So, you know, I'd be lying if I said somebody was jumping off the page at me. Panay Sewell, their first-round pick, wasn't even at camp. He was 
you recover him from COVID. So he wasn't in attendance there. But I think eyes in Detroit are sort of at least one eye is sort of on Green Bay, too. And what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers and that whole quarterback situation? Not that the Lions think they're contending in the NFC North or anything like that. But the Lions window of opportunity is a year or two down the road. Uh, but if Aaron Rodgers isn't there all of a sudden, you know, this the NFC North, you know, becomes up for grabs in that year or two. And, and maybe the Lions in this rebuild have uh, maybe maybe it, it picks up pace a little bit and, and the Lions are suddenly contenders in the NFC North at some point. Yeah, totally agree. Pushes their time frame a little bit forward. I'm done with the whole Aaron Rodgers mess. We did an entire show on it. I just can't talk about it anymore. Like nothing is happening. It's all just hearsay. Nobody knows anything. And I thought it was interesting in the Lions camp, they didn't have a quarterback. So they had coaches throwing balls. Yeah, you know, I so they sent the roster out, obviously, you know, middle of last week or whatever it was. And I looked at it and I was like, no quarterbacks? Like, you know, this, this doesn't make sense. But, you know, watching it in practice, I mean, it was fine. I, I In fact, I, I sort of went into it like, what are they doing? And I came out of it being like, all right, they know what they're doing because – Again, this is all glorified walkthrough stuff. You know, they the practice that we saw, you know, they had a, about a 30-minute walkthrough, a little faster pace than a walkthrough, but, you know, they weren't throwing passes or anything. They stretched, they go through individual, they do some special teams. The only semi-live stuff was seven-on-seven, seven, and they had a coach on their staff, young offensive assistant, relatively recent graduate, played quarterback at San Diego, and he's throwing corner routes. Like, he would be better than any undrafted for agent they were bringing in or comparable to that guy, so... Uh, you know, Dan Campbell's, uh, his explanation of, hey, we didn't want to waste one of our five tryout spots on a quarterback who we had no interest in keeping. We wanted to bring in five guys who, you know, we wanted to get real assessments on to to potentially make the 90-man roster. It made sense. And they signed three of the, the five guys that they brought in. So quirky as it was, as unorthodox as it was, it, it worked out fine for the Lions. Let's move on to this coming season. There were a lot of on-field issues for the Lions last year, but which one is going to get fixed? Like as you see the draft class and you see the guys that try, they're trying to pull in, is there a need that will be fixed this season? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think the Lions will have a good offensive line. Obviously, you know, they've invested a lot up there. The first round pick Sewell again, joining Taylor Decker and Frank Ragnow. Uh, you know, that should help the offense, even though no Matthew Stafford and the you know, completely new receiving receiver room. Um, it's going to look a whole lot different. So I, I don't know that they're going to be great offensively, but I think you you know, they, they have some, some, some building blocks there on offense and uh, with the offensive line and at tight end and, and maybe even DeAndre Swift. So there are some things you can dream on defensively, you know, they, they still lack playmakers uh, in a major way, but the one maybe reason for hope is it's just schematics and, and players tuned out Matt Patricia last year. And so having a different voice and different defensive scheme I don't think they're going to be great by any means. I mean, I think we're looking at a five or six win team, but I do think the arrow is at least pointed in the right direction. And, and, you know, the coaching change is a big reason why. That was the next question. Like what's the biggest difference besides the fact that they quit on Matt Patricia? I mean, what do you see as Dan Campbell and his staff compared to Matt Patricia's staff? Why is Dan Campbell the answer? Why is his staff the answer in Detroit? Well, still very early and we'll see if they are. I mean, you know, they have to prove it and, you know, there's, they're going to have their own set of growing pains, you know, this, this year too. And, and that's why I think Lions fans are, you know, they're right to be patient with this because nothing, you know, not much is going to change this year, but the hope is, you know, the, the, the players, the staff, the GM, everyone sort of learns together. And then 2022, 2023, things are better. But I, I will say this. I think the one thing that, 
you know, has really struck me about Dan Campbell and the players too, is that you go back to Dan's first press conference. And I know a lot of people, you know, kind of look sideways, like he's talking about biting kneecaps and whatnot, but Dan was authentic and he was himself. When you are, when you embrace yourself like that and, and you're honest and, and emotional and all that, you allow everyone else to be themselves too. And I just think that makes you know, having watched this team up close the last few years when everyone was walking on eggshells, you know, now to it's not just having a different personality of player in there because you don't have to be that outgoing you know, personality. You can be the quiet guy, too. But if you're if the coach enables you to be yourself, that maybe I think at least helps bring out the best in you as a player or a person or whatever that is. And so. I think that's part of the whole organizational change too, is that rather than this coach bullying you or you being afraid of this coach or, you know, whatever it is, having to watch your words, walk on eggshells because, you know, he's liable to fly off the handle at you. Well, Dan's still gonna, you know, he's still going to kick their ass, put a quarter in the jar, but you know, he's, he's going to love them too. And so I think, you know, that's, that's, that's the biggest change that I see. Yeah. Peter, you and I talked about this too, about Matt Patricia and just that whole thing where he tried to be, Bill Belichick and try to force his hand on guys when he wasn't that. You want to talk at all about your thoughts on how that went with Matt Patricia? I guess from the outside looking in, that's kind of what it kind of what it felt like. It may not have been the case, but certainly from the outside looking in. And I thought that Campbell was an interesting choice because he was one of those names that was kind of mentioned for the Packers job a couple of years ago in the long list of names. Yeah, it certainly it comes across as a very interesting character who I think who I think that again, from the outside looking in, is a guy that you think that that's a guy that I would like to play for. And I think that's a great start. I'm just jumping about here. I'm, I was just interested in, in what you mentioned about the offensive line in particular. I love the first round draft pick, particularly still dropping that far. I just wonder what that means for Taylor Decker and how that's going to pan out and does Decker move to right tackle or does Seal start inside at guard? I don't know what the early thoughts are on, on how that's going to pan out. Yeah, nothing for Decker right now. I mean, Decker will be the left tackle, and I would think he probably plays out, you know, the the bulk or all of this contract at left tackle. I mean, they, you know, Brad Holmes said that Panay Sewell will start at right tackle uh, for okay. the Lions. And, you know, he's he's 20 years old still. He's going to – he turns 21 in October. You know, I, I think they have some time, right? If you look at yeah, – this yeah. is the first year of Decker's four-year extension, really. So it might not be until Taylor's done with that contract that Sewell moves to left tackle. But – Regardless, the Lions have three pretty good anchors or players they think are going to be good anchors. And Decker at left tackle, Ragnow at center, Sewell at right tackle, and Jonah Jackson played pretty well at guard too. So they really like you know what this thing can be in the future. But why did they spend so much draft capital, Dave, on linemen? <laughs> uh, I think it's partly the way the board fell and partly you know what they want to do, need to do. I mean, look, you know they we we've been talking up here forever that they you know, how thin they were on the defensive line and need to get some pass rush. And, you know, they're going to run more of a three, four this year. And, you know, I think McNeil, their third round pick, Aline McNeil, he's probably going to end up being their nose tackle. I thought John Penasini played pretty well at nose last year, but McNeil's maybe a little more explosive and that's, you know, what they want. You know, Levi Anzarike, sort of the same thing. You know, they, they you know, I, I think he can learn and he can be a, a compliment to Michael Brockers, especially if they play Romeo Juarez a little, you know, from a stand-up position a little bit more. So I don't know that that was completely by design uh, as much as it way, was the way the, the the draft board fell. But, hey, those guys definitely seem like Dan Campbell sort of guys to win in the trenches. So I'm sure that was part of the thinking there. 
Yeah, they certainly showed their hand, right? This is how we're going to build this team. We're going to build it from the lines, and we'll see what we have from there. They don't have a ton of playmakers. I mean, I like Aramon Ross St. Brown. I actually wanted him to be a Packer. Him dropping into the fourth round is a nice pick for them. I mean, it, all tense and purposes, it looked like he was going to be a second or third round guy. So in the fourth round, he's a pretty big, he's a good value pick. I agree. I, I you know, I do like a three scenarios, I guess, where I say, right, Lions pick so-and-so, you know, seven, this is what they could do in round two. And that, you know, this is the dominoes that fall in round three. And, uh, you know, I had St. Brown as like the their first third round pick, you know, so in one of those scenarios. So I, I'm with you. I thought he was a third round type talent, uh, you know, to get him early in, in round four at a position they really need help at, you know, he's going to probably end up starting a slot receiver for them. Right. And, uh, you know, it's a tough, tough spot for a rookie to fill, but there's going to be a lot of opportunity for him to catch the ball. As I look down this draft for the Lions, like usually we laugh. <laughs> Honestly, we look at Lions drafts and we're like, huh, okay. The Lions being the Lions once again. But I, That's what they do here too. That's what Lions fans <laughs> do too. <laughs> <laughs> but I like this draft. I mean, there's just a lot of great players on here. Peter, your favorite player from the – NFL draft is on this board. He is, he is indeed. So, so Jamal Jefferson was a guy that I picked out months ago to a degree because he reminded me a little bit of Aaron Jones. Yeah. And, and, I, and I thought that I thought that Jefferson would go would go earlier. I thought he would have been a nice pick for the Packers later. You know, around five, six, seven. So I, I think it's an excellent pick for the Lions. And that was the pick after the Packers picked Kylan Hill. I guess I love. Jefferson from Stale said from months ago. So I, I, I love that pick. The interesting thing for me, going all the way, jumping all the way back to the first round, was had Kyle Pitts dropped to seven, and I know that was quite unlikely, but had he dropped to seven, would he have been of interest to the Lions? You know, even even though they've got Hawkinson, Pitts would be a difficult guy to, to pass up, I would have thought. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I, I, I spent a little bit of time with Brad Holmes, excuse me, um, before the draft and uh, like the morning of the draft. And, and you know, he was talking about players in buckets, right? Like, you know, not necessarily telling me their board who's ranked one, two, three, but players in buckets. And I think most people around the league sort of agreed that Sewell, you know, Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts were all in that bucket of the top non-quarterbacks, you know, in the draft. And absolutely, if Kyle Pitts was there, I think the Lions would have uh, you know, jump to to take him, you know, if Sewell's gone, you know, he might've been the next best guy on the board for them. I, I don't know that, but they knew at, before the draft that Josh Hill was retiring, who was their number two tight end and different sort of player, obviously, but that was a, a need that they had that they sort of kept under wraps. And it came out, you know, a few days later that Josh Hill was retiring. So um, I think Pitts would have, uh, he would have fit any offense and uh, certainly the Lions. And that's the thing with Pitts, because you feel like you can, you can line him up. He doesn't fix your wide receiver problem, but he would go a long way because you can line him up out there. You can line him up anywhere. Yeah. But, you know, uh, all that being said, I agree hundred percent, but uh, you know, I can't, you know, the emotion that you saw for them taking Sewell, that was genuine. I mean, they were, yeah. they were extremely thrilled to get him and, like I said, he's a 20 year old. I think Pitts is the only player that was younger than him in the draft. So regardless, you know, you're going to get a guy that has enormous upside. Uh, yeah, hundred percent agree. I, mean, I think Sewell was putting the quarterbacks to one side. So I think that's a whole different discussion. The draft, other than Trevor Lawrence, probably. I think you know Sewell's probably you know one of the top two or three players on the board in my in my view across yeah. the whole of the draft. You mentioned McNeil. I love the pick of McNeil. I would have liked McNeil for the Packers, even though they've got Kenny Clark. I, I think if you're going to play the 3-4, McNeil's that run stuffer clogging up the middle, zero technique, one technique, nose tackle. 
Love that pick. So I think from a Packers perspective, the whole of the NFC Central drafts are, are very worrying because because the, the Bears draft looks good on paper, the Vikings draft looks good on paper, and the Lions draft looks good on paper. Interesting times. Yeah, when we were recording, Dave, during the draft, and we were watching things happen, and we're like, okay, Onzerike may be available to the Packers. And I know that, you know, he everybody's hot and cold. They either love him or they hate him. And we were like, okay, Barmore and Onzerike are both there for the Packers to pick. And we're kind of like, okay, that's where they're going to go. Because for us, that's the biggest dire need on the Packers roster was finding someone that could actually stop the run. And then they passed both of them up and ended up with Eric Stokes, who we don't hate. But Onzerike was definitely on our list, too, as someone we would love to have seen, even at 29. Yeah. So at 41, that's a pretty high-value pick, too. What are your well, thoughts on him? Are you high on him, low on him? What's your thoughts? You know, I uh, there are a couple guys, you know, just to be honest, in round two that I, I would have preferred the Lions to draft, but I'm not, you know, down on, on the pick by any means. I mean, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa I thought would have fit and filled the big need at linebacker, the safety from TCU. I thought same thing would have been a good addition. Uh, I get the Unzurike pick. I think you're right. You know, just talking to people about him, and they'll build up to the draft. They It ran hot and cold. You know, some people really liked them. Some people could do without them. But the Lions sort of said what you said. You know, Brad Holmes said during, you know, the draft that he was, said day two, that he thought about trading back up into the end of round one to to get Onzerike. So another guy that, you know, was really high on their board that they felt fortunate that was there early in, on day two. As you look at this draft, who's the high ceiling, you know, who's the boomer bust guy? Well, I mean, I... <laughs> Look, I, I think you could go with either of the first two for them, really. I mean, Onzerike, you know, again, just because of the take him or hate him, I guess, uh, you know, uh, feedback I got from scouts ahead of time. You know, Sewell, I, I think Sewell, is, he's very well regarded as a prospect. But the fact that he's 20 years old and he hasn't played football in a year, and I don't think he's going to be a bust by any means. But, but I, you know, I do think if there's if you have a fear about, you know, an offensive lineman who maybe has some personality too, right, a lot of these offensive linemen, they don't want to talk. They don't want the camera. You know, Panay Sewell is not that guy. Uh, so it's a different breed of offensive tackle. And I love it. And I think he's going to be a really, really good player. But, you know, I, I've heard that from other people, too, that, well, you know, we'll see for those reasons. So I would say on Zarike, but, you know, there might be some people out there that would say Sewell, too. Yeah. And the expectations of the seventh pick in the draft sure. are so doggone high. I mean, he can be a very good player, but he was the seventh pick in the draft. If he would have been the 30th pick in the draft, you know, and he's a good player, then no one, you know, cares. But when you're I think that's up, part of it, too, because it, and it's not just seven, you know, like people were talking about this guy, you know, a year ago, right? Because he started as a 17-year-old in the Pac-12 and he, he played well. And then, you know, he was the Outland Trophy winner as a sophomore, you know, as an 18, 19-year-old. And so people were, you know, this guy's Anthony Munoz. And that's a lot to live up to. and. I don't, you know, like you're never going to put that on anyone that he's, he's that, you know, type of guy. But if he doesn't live up to that, those expectations, you know, there will be people out there that say, ah, you know, he loved the camera too much or, ah, he, you know, he couldn't play right tackle or, you know, whatever it is. So there, there is a lot that he has to live up to. Yeah. If he doesn't work out, they'll find a reason that even if it makes no sense at all, why he didn't work out because yeah, he was too much into the camera and himself or whatever it might be. Anything else on the draft? Peter, you got any thoughts on their, on their draft before we move on? I've managed to get Jamal Jefferson mentioned more than once, which is. <laughs> <laughs> That's a win for sure. Lions yeah. cut carry on Johnson right after they took him too. So they, uh, 
they feel comfortable enough. He'll be their number three. As you guys know, Jamal Williams will be the number two. But uh, yes. they, they felt good enough about that pick to get rid of carry on. And they stole Jamal Williams. I, I will say that till <laughs> the end of the time. The amount of money that Jamal Williams signed for is a great deal. They got a great back who's versatile. Any thoughts on, on Jamal Williams? I know you haven't uh, seen him at all, other than Packers stuff. But Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, he was a guy that I identified during the free agent process as somebody would fit because – uh, you know, the one thing Deuce Staley talked about when he came in, Lions running backs coach, was he wanted a guy that could pass protect. You know what I mean? And uh, Jamal can do that. You know, DeAndre Swift is going to be the number one back here, but Jamal is certainly the guy that, you know, he's going to get some carries. And if something happened to Swift, you certainly feel comfortable with with letting him have a, a heavier workload. And he's he's one of those guys that I talked about earlier, right? He's got a little personality, and that's good. That, that's welcome, you know, this day and age in, in Detroit. And so I'll point this out, too. Out of the dozen or so free agents that the Lions signed, Jamal Williams was the only one they gave a multi-year contract to. So he certainly was, you know, uh, at or near the top of their wish list when it came to free agents. Which also says that he's bought into whoever he's talking to in Detroit, too. Like, he must believe that there's something there. Yeah. No, I uh, think that's right. You know, he's... uh, they, the, the way they're going to run this offense probably probably suits him and, and running backs as well. If, I'd like to move on from the draft because I'd like your perspective on they lose Matt Stafford or they let him go. So, But to get Jared Goff and the whole trading of quarterbacks is an interesting, inter- interesting situation. So I'd love to hear your take on why that makes sense for the Lions other than Goff's age and where do they go from here with Goff as quarterback? Yeah, I don't know that they would have traded Stafford if Stafford didn't go to them asking for a trade. But I, I 100% think it was the right thing to do. You know, this was something that I'd written about plenty last fall, even before that. You know, something that had been a popular, you know, debate on, on sports radio out here. Stafford, 12 seasons, good player. No doubt about that. But they never won anything. You know, only three playoff appearances. You know, it was it was time for a change and having a new coach, new GM, new quarterback, new everything. It just makes sense to start ground level and build this thing blank canvas for for Brad Holmes to build. And I don't know if Jared Goff is going to be the guy they build around. I don't think he will. But, you know, he's 26. He was in a Super Bowl a couple of years ago. So you don't want to you know write him off. But I think what the, that deal did was it, it gave them options. You know, it gave them a young quarterback that they can see what he can do this year. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, it gave them two first-round picks that maybe they can go move around with and, and get the quarterback that they, they do need to build around. Peter, what were your thoughts on this whole trade? I know Todd and I talked about it for a little bit. I think that, you know, again, from thousands of miles away, it just felt like for a while now that Stafford had wanted to, to move on. And I also think from a team perspective, at some point, yeah, as Dave's just described, I think at some point you bite the bullet and you move and you move on, however tough however tough that is. And I often talk about this. I put a history hat on, and we often talk about this with with quarterbacks across the ages, even the truly great quarterbacks, the Unitas and the Namaths, and all of those guys ended their career somewhere else. And while I'm not putting Stafford up in that list, it's just something that eventually happens. The teams that move on, Peyton Manning, etc., et Brett Favre. So I guess it wasn't a Surprise. I think the question, the unanswered question is going to be, you know, what happens with, with Jared Goff? I think if you can put a good enough team around him, then then he can probably win, you know, probably win for you. It's time, isn't it? It just beca- it just becomes time. As, as Dave said, if you, if you don't win, however good somebody is, it just becomes time, new coaching staff, et cetera, et cetera. So I, it just seems like the right thing to do to me 
from this this far away. At some point, you need a new new voice, new leader, new whatever it is, and I think that's what the Lions were were at with with Stafford. And yeah. uh, you know, the thing about golf and evaluating him for the future. Look, who knows? I, I think it's going to be tough for because I don't think the Lions will be very good this year. Uh, you know, I, I think they're a five or six win team. Jared Goff has played better when he's had, you know, good protection like any quarterback. And so maybe that helps him. But I also think that the end of the day, as I look ahead, right, we're doing this in January and we're talking about a five or six win team. Is anybody going to look at a five or six win team and say, yeah, that's my quarterback to build around? I just have a hard time seeing that that take place. So, again, while I say don't write Jared Goff off, you know, he's 26 years old. He played in the Super Bowl. He you know, maybe some of the problems he had were Sean McVay problems. I also, just being realistic about it, think that if you're putting me on the spot now, I think the Lions are probably drafting a quarterback next year. They didn't yeah. give him enough, really. I love Amon Ross St. Brown. I do. <laughs> but it's Quintez Cephas. You know what I mean? That's pretty much it. Tyrell Williams, maybe? Yeah. Tyrell Williams, Brashad Perryman. I mean, those are their top receivers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's TJ Hawkinson. So, you know, he doesn't have a lot to, to work with. Right. And so how are, you know, your evaluation of him was going to be based on his performance. And yes, that all plays into it. It's still on him, right? Whatever pieces he has, he has to make the best of it. So good luck, Jared. It's right. going to be a tough road to hold for sure. Okay, but I guess, like you say, they got those number one picks. Next year's quarterback class, Hal, Lakita, Oklahoma, I guess, uh, Rattler. You know, one of, one of those guys perhaps next year. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know enough about the quarterbacks yet to, you know, have any opinion. But, yeah, and, and I think, you know, your point, look, Aaron Rodgers, you know, he's complaining he's wanted his talent, you know, a, a receiver and all the skill positions over the years. The Lions are one receiver core he wouldn't trade for, right? So he, even the Packers have, have a whole lot more at, uh, at the skill positions than, than the Lions do right now. Can we move on to some Hall of Fame talk, Dave? Would that be all right? Yeah, it's fine. Peter, this is sort of your ball of wax, so go ahead. I'll let you ask the questions. I'll just sit back and enjoy Dave's comments. <laughs> I guess this year's Hall of Fame, and we, and we all felt that, you know, Peyton Manning would be a, a shoe-in and and us with our Packers hats on thought that Woodson would be a shoe-in. And then after that, I guess we kind of felt that it was probably four or five that would make the next two or three, which, you know, Calvin Johnson was one of them. And, and I guess my question to you, and it might be a difficult question to answer, but I guess you did the presentation for, yep. so it's more of a kind of a personal question to you. This is how much pressure do you feel when you have to do that presentation and kind of you're invested in that, in that guy and wanting to do the best you can for him? Yeah, a little bit, no doubt about it. I mean, this was the first, so for people who don't know the way the Hall of Fame works, there's 48 voters and there's essentially, you know, one for every team. There's 32 and then there's 16 at large. And typically the voter from the city or from the team that covers the team uh, is the one that makes the presentation when the player, you know, is in the Hall of Fame. So it's my responsibility to do, you know, Detroit Lions guys. And, you know, I, don't, I think this was six or seven years. And of course, Kelvin's the only one that I've had to present because the Lions just don't have anyone that's been worthy of, of you know, induction. And so, yeah, this was my first time doing it. And uh, I thought, you know, Kelvin was number three. He was number three on the list to me, right? I thought Peyton was in and, and Charles was in and I thought Kelvin deserved to be in. But I also know the of the situation when it comes to receive, typically they have to wait a couple of years. And I realized that, you know, he didn't have the longest career and he played on teams that didn't win anything. So I knew there was sort of a lot, you know, there were reasons that people could find to keep him out if they wanted to, too, or to make him wait. Because I think everyone... Yeah agreed that he was a Hall of Fame player. But again, 
you know, some people don't want first year guys in some people want receivers to wait, whatever the case is. Yeah. So for me, I, I did, I, you know, I, I started my presentation last year at this time. Truthfully, I, I started talking to people um, partly maybe because it was a pandemic and I knew this was coming up and I was going to write some stories on it. And so I did a lot of legwork on it and I felt good about the presentation coming out of it. I felt good going into it, but certainly there was a little bit of a, you know, I don't know if weight is the right word, but I, you know, there was a little anticipation of, all right, is this going to be good enough? What's going to happen, you know, at the end of the day. When you knew that, that he'd been voted in, uh, yeah. was, it, was it a sense of relief or? Yeah, I didn't know until the the day the announcement came out, um, yeah. for sure. You know, I, I felt pretty good, again, coming out of the, the the presentation, and I got some good feedback from people that were in the room. And so, you know, that made me made me feel a little more confident that Kelvin was was getting in. You know, I don't know that you it's not like you're cheering, you know, because you certainly on this, you know, side, you're, you're always taught to, you know, keep an arm's length from that sort of thing and not be a fan, but yeah, you know, the hall of fame is a little bit different in my role there than my role as a reporter. And so maybe just some satisfaction that the legwork that I put in uh, the explanation that I gave the other voters that people sort of saw it the way that I saw it, that for everything that uh, you could take away from them for the lack of playoff success and the, you know, maybe shortened career, he was still one of the elite players uh, in the NFL for that nine-year stretch that he played. And at the wide receiver position, he helped define the position to really a generation of, you know, people coming up. And uh, so, you know, certainly some satisfaction that people saw it the way that I did and that my uh, legwork uh, turned out to be, you know, worth it in, in getting him in the Hall of Fame. We were both glad to see both glad to see it happen. He was a good I man. He was, look, you know, uh, Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson, you know, the Lions have had some some really elite players over the years. Not some, not good teams, but uh, two two of the guys that have been extremely fun to watch in the NFL. And, uh, you know, it was great to cover Calvin for the years. Of that. And I think that makes it even more special in a way to be able to be so outstanding on some teams that haven't won, if you if, if you like. You know, it, it's easy to pick, go and look at the Patriots and we can pick four or five or six or seven of those who would be potential Hall of Famers. It's a lot more, typically a lot more difficult on teams that haven't won. And I think when guys, like you say, like like a Barry Sanders or a Megatron are that, that outstanding on those teams, to me as a fan, that yep. just makes it a little bit more special. You know, that was one thing that I heard over and over from, because I talked to a bunch of the coaches and defensive coordinators and cornerbacks and guys that, you know, went against him. And they said, you know, when you, every single week, when you start off your week by saying, hey, number 81, we can't let him beat us. We got to take him out of the game. You know, we're putting two guys on him, three guys on him. We're rolling coverage this way. We're doing everything we can to stop him. And when he still puts up 1,900 yards in a season, a record, or when he, you know, still has eight straight hundred yard games or whatever he does, uh, you know, that's when people just marvel at it and say, that's the definition of a hall of famer. You know, he did it the right way and we tried everything we could to stop him. And yet he still, you know, kicked our ass another quarter in the jar. Um, You know, there you go. That, that, uh, you know, that was, that's a hall of famer. And so I I think people recognize how special of a talent, how special of a player he was. I guess my next question of, about the Hall of Fame, if, it, if it's okay. And this might be, again, this might be a difficult one and, and unfair. And if you can't answer it, don't answer it. Just from your perspective, who you think are the next Lions who might be in consideration potentially? The, the name, I tell you, the names that come to my mind, Billy, Billy Sims is the first name that always comes to my mind. And I know that's a number of years ago now. And I, and I guess he's probably qualified for the senior yeah. pool now. But um, 
are there are there any others that perhaps are more recent that yeah i think billy's probably his career was too short you know and he just there's there's just not enough there um yeah. obviously fantastic player for that you know that quick you know uh, stretch that that he was in but um and you're right he would be a, a senior presentation so it wouldn't be anybody that i would i mean we would i would vote on it but i wouldn't have yeah. to to do the presentation on um and Dominican Sue will honestly, he's probably the only other modern day player, you know, that I've covered that will be in the room for discussion at some point. And, you know, he'll be an interesting case. I mean, you know, he won a Super Bowl this year, right? So, you know, he's got that on his resume. He was a three time first team all pro in five seasons in Detroit. And if you go down the list, I don't have it in front of me, but but I do have a list. The Hall of Fame sends us this big book every year. The number of defensive linemen that have been a three-time first-team All-Pro selection is very small. And, you know, there was a period that Sue, you know, was playing at a Hall of Fame level. And, you know, it's not going to be easy for him to get in. And I don't know that he will at the end of the day, but I do think at some point he will be, you know, up for discussion um, there. So, he was, he's probably the only other modern era player. You know, I, I wrote about once or twice about Matthew Stafford and his potential candidacy um, just because statistically, you know, he will, assuming he plays as long as we all think he'll play, he's going to have Hall of Fame numbers. I mean, he's going to throw for 70,000 yards in his career, you know, or more, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have the championships and the wins. And so maybe that's why, you know, this, this Rams experiment will be interesting to watch and see what he does. Um because the talk in Detroit is right. How much is Matthew to blame for some of the Lions' struggles, or how much is he was he held back by the other, you know, the rest of the the ineptitude of of the organization? So um, that will be an interesting one to watch. To me, my definition. Everyone has a little definition of a different definition of a Hall of Famer, and I think you need to be one of the whatever it is handful of, of top players at your position in the game for some multi year stretch of time, right? more than one year. So you're not just a flash in the pan. Yeah. But if you, if I can look at you and say, you know what, that guy is the best receiver in the game. Like Calvin was, or in that very, very small discussion of, of players that could be your best quarterback or best defensive tackler, whatever it is. Then to me, you are a hall of famer. If you have the, the other things that go along with it. And I've never really thought Matthew was one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the game. Maybe I was a little too close to it, covering it. And, and some of the, the things that were going wrong here, so it will be interesting to watch in, in, in the Rams the next few seasons. There were a couple of other Lions that were kind of came to my mind, but I guess, I mean, Herman Moore was one who, who was, you know, a super receiver for a number of years there. Lomas Brown, I guess, for a little while there in the in Lomas the is an interesting one, actually, because he's got a Super Bowl, too. He played a ton of games, you know. He, he was, uh, I don't know what sort of all-pro he was, but no, you're right. Those are two names that, you know, there are so every year we get a list of 125 players or whatever it is, and it's whittled down to 25 and then to 15. And yeah, those are a couple names that are, you know, in that 125 every year. They just don't, you know, don't get enough interest to go down to the 25, you know, the, the semifinal cut, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think you, know, you mentioned it, I think, especially at the wide receiver position, because they've got the statistics, there's so many of those guys. I mean, from a Packers perspective, we always look at Sterling Sharp. You know, and his career being cut short through injury and, and what have you, but we always think he, he ought to be there. But I guess receivers, there's so many of them. No, I really appreciate you answering those questions at the Hall of Fame. That something, as, as Dale knows, I'm kind of a history kind of. <laughs> Funny, I think I'm going to take the kids to the Hall of Fame uh, Memorial Day weekend. We're talking about just getting away for a couple of days. And I was like, we go down to Ohio, 
Got a buddy in Pittsburgh. We'll go see him, go watch a pit pirates game. So we'll see. Awesome. The thing Dale doesn't know about me <laughs> is when it comes to college football, that the University of Michigan is my team. I don't know how I can say that from a Brita Packers fan. And and that's thanks to um to Ron Kramer, who who obviously yeah. just a little story here. I I met Ron Kramer at at the University of Michigan and, um, you know, God rest him. And he introduced me to Lloyd Carr, who was the head coach there back then. And no sooner had I got home from the States than I'd got a letter from Lloyd Carr just basically saying how great it was to meet me, et cetera, et cetera. Now, he didn't even have my address, so Ron Kramer must have given it to him. Wow. And it was, just a, it was just a wonderful thing for a guy, you know, 4,000 miles away to have just those kinds of things are just so just just so just so neat yeah i grew up a michigan fan i went to michigan state so you know it was that was a, a different dynamic obviously when i went to school and like i said being in this you know this chair you, you sort of all the the fandom is is beat out of you so i don't root for anyone right now but uh you know I, my interactions with lloyd carr you know he's, he's he was always a nice guy to me you know enjoyed dealing with him when i covered michigan for the year that i did so i can see how he could do something like that any thoughts before we let you go dave i really appreciate you being on like thoughts about the north in general i guess i'll just close it with this i mean i i do think right packers are clearly the team to be a super bowl contender as long as aaron Rodgers is around you know my thoughts being here in detroit you know and again it's something that i've written about is you know, and why I've been on the Lions the last couple of years to draft a quarterback or consider quarterbacks, you know, Tua and Herbert two years ago and, and uh, you know, really Trey Lance had he been there this year is because I do think, look, from, from you know, all these other teams' perspectives in the North, but specifically the Lions, the Packers have had a Hall of Fame quarterback for 30 straight years, right? Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, no drop-off, 30 straight years. That's a tough thing to compete with. And so as bad as the Lions have been historically, like, you know, even when they've been good, they just you're you're competing against a no doubt Hall of Famer at the most important position in football. And you're just not going to be able to have sustained success if you don't have the same thing. And so I look at this for the Lions, for the Bears with Justin Fields, you know, the Vikings at some point, um, you know, even the Packers with Jordan Love, the next decade, the next iteration of the NFC North is going to be about who nails the quarterback position. And maybe it's Jordan Love. We don't know. You know, maybe it's Justin Fields. Maybe it's whoever the Lions, you know, Jared Goff or whoever the Lions draft or the Vikings draft. But to me, that's the I think the Packers, as long as Aaron Rodgers is there, are Super Bowl contenders. The minute he's gone, it's about whatever team in the north nails the quarterback position. And, you know, that's why it's you know, it's this great unknown. And I don't have a problem with the the Packers drafting Jordan Love for that reason. And I think the Bears were right to trade up to get Justin Fields, and we'll see what the Lions do. But to me, that that will tell the story of the next you know decade plus in the NFC North. Well, let's leave it there. How could we end it any better than that? <laughs> <laughs> Say thank you very much. Thank you for indulging this guy so uh, far yeah. away, and I pre- appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, anytime, guys. Happy to do it. We'll uh, maybe we'll do it again one day. Awesome. Thanks again. Have a great night, Dave. All right, guys. We'll talk to you. Interesting to talk to. That's not a fan. You know what I mean? Like talking to a reporter, that's a different perspective than what we've had for sure. And it's interesting because he can't take sides. He can't say what his favorite line is. Like he can't do any of those things because he has to deal with those folks 
and those players on a daily basis. So that was yeah. really an interesting conversation. It is interesting when you know when you see some of the, the Packers beat writers and they, they make a point quite often of saying, we're not fans. And I think if you were a fan, I think it would be difficult to be kind of a beat writer having to write that stuff all the time and, and trying to be as fair as you can. Yeah, that was awesome. Any other thoughts, Peter, before we go? No, who you got lined up next? Uh, John B., who has done Vikings podcast in the past. So we will have him on next Tuesday, maybe a little bit earlier. So you're not up till, you know, the crack of dawn. <laughs> but we will have John B. on next week. And uh, we're going to look for somebody in Bears podcast world, maybe a writer. I'd like to do one on each team in the North. Go forward from there. That was that was really cool. That's a nice perspective to get. So thanks for listening to episode 42, the John Brockington version of the average cheese. <laughs> and go pack go. Peter, say go pack go. Go pack go.